Thank you, Marilyn. Hopefully you have your Bible still open to chapter 4 of Ephesians as we work our way through this little epistle. The Apostle Paul has told us in this epistle about the greatness and the graciousness of Christ. He's carefully laying out before us theological truth of the foundation of our Christian faith. It's in those truths that we by grace, can place our faith in His Son, Jesus Christ, and become a new creation. As a result, we've been talking about in the last several messages about no longer living as the pagans live, no longer walking or being like the rest of the world, but rather living in a manner worthy, a manner that reflects or points to our life in Christ. So it's we're living what we say we believe. Now we're taking time on practically how we're putting off certain of those pagan ways, the world's way, that lifestyle, and we're going to put on a new way of living. This morning we're coming to a topic that I'm assuming would resonate with all of us. Jake's going to play a little clip. Excuse me, can I get a headset? Certainly. Thank you. Uh, miss? I'll be right there, sir. Where's your headset? She's busy right now, but it's coming. For crying out loud, you're missing important plot points. Ma'am? Could you give me a second, sir? Maybe get that headset, please. Do not raise your voice to me, sir. I wasn't raising my voice. Okay, just calm down. I am calm. I just want my headset. Sir, our country is going through a very difficult time right now, and if you're not going to cooperate... I don't know where a headset ties into patriotism. Is there a problem here, sir? I, I don't think so. Can you come to the back of the plane with me so we can have a talk? A talk about what? There's not a problem. This the steward is just... Keeps Flight me. attendant. The flight attendant keeps ignoring me when I ask... Calm down. I am calm. What is it with you people? You people. Oh, now, wait a minute. I don't mean you people. I mean you people. Sir, I will not tolerate any racist behavior on the plane. This is a very difficult time for our country. I, I know that. I'm not a racist. I just want to watch the movie. I'm only going to say this one more time, sir. Calm down. I'm calm! <laughs> All rise. What do you think? Oh, not guilty. It's a no-brainer. Mr. Bosnick, in case 723, assault and battery against a flight attendant, I find you guilty. Hmm. You can laugh in church, and it's probably one of the very few movie clips I'll ever, ever play, but I wanted to play that because... We're talking about anger this morning, and I, I, I saw myself in that clip so many times. I've, 
I've said to people, calm down. I mean, I mean it, just, it just fits so perfectly. I, I hope you can relate, at least I can. I told Kim as we get out of the car this morning, I said, I just, I just have a sick feeling in my stomach. And that's no joke because I realize that I am not the person to preach this message. This is, as I've dealt with this all week, I realized this is probably one of the greatest things I need to overcome in my entire life. I'd like to lay a, a few ground rules for the message this morning. We're going to trust God, the Holy Spirit, to communicate what he needs to communicate this morning. That's almost always. I'd like to ask you to think of this message only from your perspective. So in other words, there's a rule. There will be no finger pointing at any table this morning in the house. And the last thing is, I'd like for us to really think about this topic seriously. There are a million ways to approach this text. So this is just a way, and it's not a very good way to do so. But there are a, a few goals of this morning's message. First, we want to continue the process of our sanctification. We want to point out particular landmines in keeping us from living the life that Christ has for us. We want to think about this. Remember, he says in the fourth chapter that we should renew our minds. We want to give a bit of a perspective of anger. I'd like for the text to speak for itself. I'd like to give some of us hope this morning, if not all of us. And finally, more than anything else, I want to point us all to Jesus. As we begin our text, and as the girls read, in verse 26, we see the words, Be angry. That's an interesting thing. So the question is, is anger sinful or is it not sinful? That is the question. And I would answer both. Anger has, a, has an acceptable perspective, but we must be careful because it can be, and I want to use this word very intentionally, it can be extremely sinful. So what is anger? I'm going to give you a few things as we work down through it, and then we're going to talk about how to deal with sinful anger biblically. Anger can be defined as a strong feeling of annoyance or displeasure or even hostility. I would tell you that the Bible is clear that anger is a God-given emotion. So anything that God gives us, like an emotion, is not inherently sinful. Anger is exactly that. It's an emotional stance. It's an emotion where we're taking uh, a stance against something that we think is wrong. Anger is judgmental in nature. Now, judgmental, not in the negative sense, but you're making a judgment. When you're angry at someone or something, you're making a judgment on that. There's justifiable anger. That is anger. That is anything that threatens the goodness, the greatness, the holiness of God's nature. So it is right to be angry at things that we need to defend the great, glorious nature of God. The obvious answer is Jesus and the cleansing of the temple. Now, all of us sinful people with anger always cite Jesus' example. In our message today, we're only making mention of the righteous anger, 
Because I think the passage that Paul is talking about in the context is not about being angry in a righteous manner. However, there is probably a sermon that needs to be preached on how to be righteously angered. Because there should be some things in our world today, this is a parenthetical comment, there are things in our world today that we should be very angry as believers in Christ about. And I could start listing them, but there are many, many things that's just taken place in the most recent weeks. So what is the heart of sinful anger? Sinful anger at the heart of it is about worship. When you boil it all down, we are designed to worship only one, and that is the true living God of the universe. But what is happening when we get angry, we are being tempted, much like Adam and Eve are in the garden, to start thinking about ourselves rather than God. So we're starting to put ourselves in the place of worship rather than God. Anger seems to always begin with I, me, mine. Those words seem to be at the heart of sinful anger. Let me quote to you from James chapter 4. He writes, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot attain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly. James is very, very point. His points are very straightforward. The typical anger comes, now listen, I've stolen this. The typical angry response comes from something you want and didn't get or something you got and you didn't want. I want to just think about that. Anger comes, we're talking about sinful anger, from something you want and didn't get or something that you got that you didn't want. So sinful anger is when I do not get what I want. It's motivated by love of some idolatrous desire, putting ourselves on the throne of our lives. It's when our will is violated it's really when we say, I am the Lord of my life, instead of Christ is the Lord of my life. Have you noticed that we typically get angry about the stupidest things? Now, I just want you to think about, when is the last time you were angry, and what was it about? I mean, rarely are we fighting mad over whether we believe, someone doesn't believe that Jesus rose from the dead or the virgin birth. I mean, that's... I mean, we, we get upset, and honestly, there's so many examples I could throw in about me. Um, I, I just, you know, I get in trouble at home for all kinds of things. We, we fuss, and we fight, and we just, just about the dumbest things. Is there anybody, one amen? Is anybody else? So you know what I'm talking about. Well, Anger is wrong, and we approach it two ways. There are those who clam up with anger. That's called internalization. Let me give you a few words about the clamor-uppers. They are emotional. They cry. They pout. 
They sulk. They give you the cold shoulder. I have to quote my dad here. When him and my mom, we need to edit this. When him and my mom used to get in fights, he used to say, I'm going to go home and get cold shoulder and hot tongue. I never knew what that meant until I got married. (laughs) But I understand it. There's some of you that clam up. You just withdraw and you pout and you sulk. There's other of us who blow up. It's ventilation. We raise our voice. We name call, throw things, use profanity, hit, kick, on and on and on. Proverbs 29, 11 says, a fool gives vent to his spirit. Or the New King James says, a fool, a fool gives full vent to all of his feelings, but a wise man holds it back. So, there's two ways to approach anger in a sinful manner, clamming up or blowing up. But in this chapter, Paul uses a few other words that we should look at and think about. For instance, if you will look down in the page with me, you'll, you'll come across one of the very first ones. You'll come across bitterness. In verse 31, he says, let all bitterness. What is bitterness? Bitterness is a smoldering resentment. It's a brooding. It's a grudging. It's an unforgiving spirit. Really, when you get angry and you don't deal with it, it's called a root of bitterness, and it begins to grow. It begins to kind of control you. It begins to identify you. I saw one person say that bitterness is really the dissatisfaction of God's sovereign work in your life. Is anybody bitter this morning? What about wrath? What is wrath? Wrath is when you take the feeling of anger and turn it into action. You're going to get mad and so you have an emotion and you are, by golly, going to act on it so everybody knows that you're mad. If I were to be honest with you, I'm very saddened by the next word in our text. It's called clamor. And I have preached this text before. I have taught this lesson when I was working with Rod and staff. And this week, the Lord seemed to, to really impress upon my heart that I'm just being honest, that I am guilty of the sin of clamoring all the time. It's a violent outburst. It's yelling, it's raising your voice, it's shouting, it's, being, it's losing control, it's screaming. I used to tell Kim, and probably as recently as a few days ago, even I'm sure, I've said, she said, well, stop yelling at me. And I, I won't do this because of the implication of the microphone, but I've said, I'll show you what yelling really is. I'm just... I feel like you're all looking at me like this is a judgment on me, but I just, I'm just being honest. I don't know if I'm the only one that clamors in the congregation or not, but I'm glad the Lord revealed it to me, and it's something i got to work on. Malice. It's another word. We don't use it a lot. It's, I heard one guy say it's frozen intimacy where it's turned into cold hatred. Truly, malice is... You want to get someone back. As, here's, the, here's the person filled with malice. 
I'll show them for messing with me. I'm going to give them what they deserve. That's, that's a malice, an attitude of malice. And finally, slander. I heard one person say that anger always turns into slander, saying bad things about people. Dr. Joel Beakey, who is a guy who I respect greatly, says there's five P's of anger's seduction. Anger will seduce all of us. First, he says, there's the seduction of power. When you get angry, you have power over people. When you get angry, and if you're angry enough, you can be seduced to thinking you can get your way. There's a seduction, seduction of physical seduction of anger. I don't know if you know it, but there's a reason we say they turned red with anger, or their eyes were red, or their face was red. That's because when we get angry, we get energized. The body's natural ability is to dump adrenaline, and you just, you're amped up, and so you can take on the world when you, and there's a, there's a sense that there's that emotion that God gave us, but we're seduced by that physical power, and so we use anger over and over. There's a seduction of the pragmatism of anger. The truth is, if we get angry enough, it just works. If we just keep getting angry, we'll eventually get our way. There's a seduction of pride. Anger allows us to think that we're our own God. If I just get angry enough, I'm, I'm, I'm in control of my life. I'm the captain of my own ship. And then finally, pain. There's a seduction of pain. Anger will seduce us because what will happen is the people around us will start walking on eggshells because we can exact pain on them. And it's, it's seductive because we can use anger to bring other people into compliance. Anger can get compounded. I will tell you that anger will disintegrate and destroy relationships. Dr. John Piper, a trusted pastor and theologian, a guy who's been faithful with the Lord for a long time, was interviewed about anger. And he made a quote, and I want you just to let this set because I've thought about it a lot. He said, anger is more dangerous than lust in a marital relationship. Now, no one, nowhere does he say that lust is appropriate. But I want to read to you an excerpt from Dr. Piper's interview. Quote, I believe anger is more dangerous because over time, for example, in a marriage, lust can raise its head like a dragon on his shoulder. C.S. Lewis pictured it that way. And do sudden and immediate hurt. But anger can seeth day after day, week after week, year after week, year after year, and come in and out many oblique expressions of demeaning behavior, neglect, lack of attention, that, I think, can undermine a relationship more subtly with more long-term damage than the dragon of lust. He goes on. He said, most men and women understand the battle that rages in the male mind and heart with regard to lust. But I don't think most couples understand the way anger works and how relentless Disappointment in a marriage or a friendship or a job can cause a low-grade anger that yields death to all positive emotions that make relationships worth living. 
So if we can't get a grip on or relief from or a solution to anger, it will probably undermine relationships, especially marriages, more deeply and more long-term than lust does, end of quote. I would say that it can do the same thing with parent and child relationships. I would say that anger can do the same thing with our relationship to our coworkers or our friends. I have come to believe this week that the topic of anger is doing more damage in the life of believers and the life of churches and the life of homes and the lives of children than almost anything else. It's one of those acceptable sins. We just kind of let it breathe and soothe and we kind of excuse it. We hear people say, oh, he's just an angry man or that's the way he is or I'm the way God wired me, deal with it. And so the bottom line is anger is a hard issue. When we get angry and what we're angry about really just reveals what's in our heart. Matthew 12 Verses 34 and 35 says, For out of the heart, or I'm sorry, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. There's an illustration that I've used over and over. It's a, it's a tea bag illustration. Um, you, everybody know a tea bag, and you have different flavored teas. The way you reveal the content of the tea bag is to heat up some water, and when the boiling water hits the tea bag, it reveals the contents of the tea bag. I would suggest to you, brothers and sisters, it's true in my own life, when the boiling water of life hits us, when it 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 starts things start getting rough, what happens is when that boiling water of life hits our tea bag, it restarts revealing what truly is in our heart. Now, you all are kind of looking at me, and you're like, ugh. And I can see that, but I want to give you hope this morning. So how do we deal with sinful anger biblically? Well, it's basically putting off the old life and putting on the new. As a matter of fact, a lot of this is as simple as just having a Nike theology, and that's simply you just do it. Let me give you an illustration. Has anybody, I know Kim and I are the only people that have ever done this. Has anybody ever been on the, been fighting? And it's, if you don't want to be real, I'll be real. We, we've had arguments and fights and clamor and bitterness and all the rest. And you're just really screaming at each other. And then the phone rings. Hello. Oh, good. God bless you. Yes, we're doing well. Everything's fine. Praise the Lord. I mean, does anybody do that? That just proves that you can do it. That literally proves you can put off the old man and put on the new man. The fact that you say, well, I can't do that. I just, I'm just so emotional. No, you're, you're not. So let's quickly walk through how we can do that. There are six things that I identified. First, it's going to come straight from the text. Do, I'm sorry, I'm going to, I'm going to start with um, 
Be angry and do not sin, nor let the sun go down on your anger. In verse 27, it says, give no opportunity to the devil. Why does he say that? We must make sure that there's no crack in our armor for Satan to get a foothold in. And how do you do that? We're not going to talk about it today. Lord willing, if we get to chapter 6 of Ephesians, there's something there called the spiritual armor. And you all know those things. Let, let me just say this. I said this to someone this week. Part of my problem is I leave the house, now I'm not trying to be funny, spiritually naked. I, I forget to put my spiritual armor on. And when I, when I walk, I would never walk out of the house without clothes. But so many times we walk out of the house spiritually unprepared. And so one of the things that we need to do to change this, how do we overcome it, is don't give the devil any leadway. We should always be thinking of how to be proactive and to use the resources Notice in the text it says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Second, in other words, I know people quote that to newly married people, and that's soon over after the honeymoon. But here's what I think that means. That means deal with anger quickly. Set some limits, even like a day. Don't let bitterness in. Don't let it brew and fester. Keep accounts short. Don't don't not deal with it. I don't know if that's even proper. You have to deal with it. Make time to talking about it. Now, I know a lot of people think, okay, then I'm going to be a confrontational person. I'm going to confront them with the anger. I think that misses the point. I think if our first response is to always confront someone else, we're missing Paul's point. It's, it's been my response. I think what he's saying is, understand that this needs to be confessed and repented and resolved quickly and you need to start with you. The third thing, do not sin. In other words, respond in a biblical manner. We've talked about anger, what anger is, how it affects us. We've talked all about the bad words. But the way that anger really gets into our lives is it derails us by putting us back on the throne of our hearts. And what's where sin comes in? It's when we double down on our agenda, putting our wants and our wishes in our forefront of our thinking rather than God's. Don't sin. And you have and I have the power not to sin because of the Holy Spirit in us. Notice the other thing that he says. It's in the text. I know David preached about it a few weeks ago. But fourth, control your mouth. It's no accident that he's talking about anger and communication all in the same way. Verse 29, let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth, but only what is good for building up, as fits the occasion that may give grace to those who hear. So in other words, the way you deal with anger, the way you deal with sinful anger biblically is you guard your mouth. That means I stop clamoring. That means whenever I get mad, I don't respond in an aggravated, loud way. 
Remember, one of the rules of engagement today, honey, was not to point fingers. <laughs> Instead of making derogatory, disrespectful, slanderous comments... Instead of cursing someone, can I make a, another parenthetical comment here? Nothing to do with the sermon. I'm going to say something, and I, I want you guys to just, just listen to what I'm saying. Would you please not tell someone to go to hell? There's nothing worse. We don't want our worst enemy to go to hell. And so when we get angry and we make that response verbally and we say things like, and I'm, this is, I'm using this and I'm trying to instruct this, I'm not trying to be cute. When we tell someone we want them to go to hell, do we really understand what we're asking? We want them to go to a place of eternal anguish and gnashing of teeth and fire? No. And also, let me just say this. Don't ever tell God to damn someone or something. You, you don't want that. No one wants that. But yet I hear people respond when they get mad. They take the Lord's name in vain and they tell him to do something that's contrary to his nature. So what do we do? We build them up instead of tearing them down. We give them grace instead of rudeness and disrespect. We're kind to them with our language instead of being hurtful. The fourth thing is my weakest spot. Oh, I don't use foul language to, to my knowledge, but I can yell, can get mad. I can say hurtful things. I've even been said to, to know, to be say, you know, I can go right for the juggler. It's almost like people are proud of that. You know then, when they get mad, they just go right for the juggler. Well, thank God Jesus didn't go for the juggler. Right? So that's fifth. What's the fifth way? Be tenderhearted. Look at this. Be tenderhearted. Be kind in verse 32. We've talked about that. Be tenderhearted. Instead of a tough guy in your face, you do this or else, I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. No one wants a piece of your mind, quite frankly. But we, it's what we do. So what happens is, Rather than do that, we should overcome our anger by being tenderhearted. What's tenderhearted? It's the opposite of bitter and wrath and anger. Where can we look for tenderheartedness? Do you know who the, most, the greatest example of tenderheartedness is? It's Jesus. Spurgeon said this. He said in a sermon, he, says the, he said, The only time Jesus told us about his heart, he described himself as gentle and lowly in Matthew eleven twenty nine. Gentle and humble. Paul's telling us in Ephesians here for us to put off the old way of living and put on a different way, to live like Jesus, to be gentle and humble. Listen to James 4. By, but he gives more grace, therefore God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. 
There he is again. He will flee from you. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning, your joy into gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord. And notice what he says, and he will exalt you. That's God's economy. It makes no sense. The world says get them before they get you. But in God's economy, it says the first shall be last and the last shall be first. We're speaking about about this economy. Now, I'm not talking about not being firm and not having standards. God said if you, t- if you touch the mountain, you'll die. God says that, that it's wrong to kill people, and if you're a murderer, you should suffer the consequences. God has standards. And God exacts those standards on us. I'm not talking about not having standards. I'm not talking about enabling people. I'm talking about when you don't get your McNuggets and they gave you a cheeseburger, you don't go off in the drive-thru at Mickey D's. I'm going to go in and talk to the man. I mean, I've I've said that. I'm angry because they gave me a cheeseburger and don't the, let me just tell you how it's said sometimes. Don't the idiots know that I ordered McNuggets? Don't they have any intelligence in there? I'm going to go in and I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. Probably the only one that's ever said anything like that here. Talking about when your wife says something She's just trying to have a conversation, and she says, oh, honey, blah, 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 and all of a sudden, you think she's disrespecting you, and she's making an indictment on you, and boom, World War III comes over. And if you talk to the husband, he's like, I can't believe she said that, and if you talk to the wife, she's like, I was just trying to tell him I really love him. I thought that the couch would look better over there. But somehow the couch would look better over there that he's stupid and an idiot in his own mind. Did you see how Satan uses this? We're not arguing about the, the, the virgin birth in our homes. We're arguing about where the couch goes, for crying out loud. Let me tell you the greatest way that Satan, the thing that Satan's doing the most, I believe, in the world. And maybe not you. Maybe it's just the greatest way he's defuncting my witness for Christ. Is if he can get me to be angry. If he can get me coming out of the shower, the, my, I thought about this. I, she doesn't even know this. The, in our house, we, we leave windows open all the time, including the coldest days of the year. Well, that's a whole other sermon for a different audience. But So I was getting out of the shower, and I know this is an image you all don't want, but I'm getting out of the shower, and I'm drying off, and I thought to myself, I literally thought to myself, I wonder how many times our neighbor, which is from here to the, to the wall behind us has heard me yell or say something stupid at Kim because we fussed about I didn't pick up my socks. Well, so I'm supposed to, now just to get this, I'm making this about me and it's really not about me, but I, I, I'll be the guinea pig. So, so I want to walk over and say, hey, bud, you want to go to church with me? And he's like, no, I don't want to go to church. That's where they yell at their wives. Or no, I don't want to go to church because that's where stupid guys like you go. Right? Or you're at work and somebody does something crazy and you tell them where to go and how you want God to take care of them and that there are all these other things. And then you walk up to them and, you know, I'd like for you to come to church. No, I don't want to go to church with a guy like you. Parents. This is one of the places that Satan 
is going to drive a wedge in your family if you're not careful. You're going to get mad about your kids for everything they do. And all of a sudden, just like Adam Sandler in that movie clip, they're like, I don't even know what that has to do with patriotism. They don't even know why you're mad. You're just mad. Kids, children, teenagers, listen to me. How you respond to your parents shows who you're worshiping and whether you're honoring your father or your mother. It's that simple. You can't biblically honor with your father and mother by rolling your eyes, throwing your heads up, saying you're stupid, I hate you. That's, that's just, that, this is where the devil gets his crack in. All right, last one and I'm done. It's the big one. How do we overcome sinful anger biblically? Look at verse 32. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. It appears to me that Paul, under the superintendency of the Holy Spirit, has been walking us up this path of a mountaintop, and he gets to the hallmark of, I believe, the Christian faith and its forgiveness. It's here he wants us to shift our thinking from this tsunami of emotion that what we're upset about fails in comparison to the offense that we've had against the holy God. It's here that I think Paul wants us to see and remind us that Jeremiah 17, 9, our hearts, the one that's angry, is deceitful and desperately wicked. Our sins are many. Our thoughts are impure. Our motives are impure. Isaiah 64, 6, the best thing that our best deeds are as filthy rags. Kim and I had this conversation this week. And we were just talking about the prodigal son. How we all love the story of the prodigal son if we're the prodigal. But the truth is most of us are like the elder brother. Most of us are saying, God, didn't you see that person and how bad they are and all the sin that they did? You need to do something, God. And the truth is, what we really need to see is as bad as that person that you're angry with, as bad as your wife has made you, you are still yet a worse sinner. And the offense against the holy God is a billion to infinitely worse. And what did God do? He forgave you. And if he's forgiven you, guess what we can do? We can forgive others. Paul David Tripp says that the intersection of two angers was on a hill called Calvary. And that's where the righteous wrath of God met the sinfulness of man. And it was there that the perfect, spotless, sinless Christ took our sin. And it was there that he forgave us. It was there that he saved us. It was there that we had a new life. And for those of us who believe, we can practice that same forgiveness, God willing. Let's pray.
I don't know what God wants to do in this place today, but there may be someone you need to forgive. And it starts by you forgiving them in your heart this moment right now. There's others of you like me. This message will set and resonate and you need to improve on this topic of anger. You need to repent. You just need to tell the Lord. There may be someone here this morning that doesn't know the forgiveness of Christ. You've never truly placed your faith in Him. You've not really trusted in His work on the cross for your life. I would urge you this morning that you just tell Him that you're willing to surrender your life and your will to Him and trust Him as your Savior. The Bible was clear he will save you father i pray that you would have your way i am the chiefest of sinners in this regard and i pray that the holy spirit will help all of us be better at putting off the old life and be better at putting on the new life help us to be tender-hearted like jesus help us to be kind help us lord to use words that build up rather than tear down Help us, Lord, to use words of grace instead of words of profanity. Help us, Lord, to respond with hearts that are full of forgiveness rather than vengeance. Lord, let us be different this week because of your word and because of Jesus. It's in his name we pray.